0: And hello once again, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of the Hockey News on the Queue, brought to you by BetMGM. It's lucky number seven, and we are lucky enough to have with us in place of Jamie Tozer, who is having a little bit of flight troubles uh, over on the uh, left coast and cannot uh, be here with us this evening. Um, Instead, we have uh, uh, no less of an authority on the queue. He is the uh, play-by-play voice of the Cape Breton Eagles, and I. Happened to have known him for the better part of uh, two decades, actually longer than that. So he's a natural choice to bring on here tonight for his insights. Patrick McNeil, Pat, thanks for taking the time to join us.
1: Thanks for having me, Will. Yeah, we've actually known each other longer than any of the players in the queue have been alive. Not to date ourselves or make us feel old, but to look forward to discussing the exploits of these young, fantastic young athletes tonight.
0: Yes, wonderful. And yeah, don't feel old at all. That's great. So, <laughs> so, um, Pat, you know, we all know, uh, the Eagles uh, start to the season less than ideal, one win in the first 11 games. We've talked about it, Jamie and I have, uh, that is, um, in the, in the weeks since that uh, Rockies start, there was a six game winning streak, things have leveled off a little bit. But uh, overall, the Eagles are sort of it seems like they're hitting their stride, and as you've sort of indicated to me, even in some of the losses as of recent, uh, the score may not indicate the caliber of play that the Eagles have been showing us.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, as you said, it was a rough start to the season, and obviously this current homestand uh, not going as well as the team would have liked. But certainly they've kind of put that bad start in the rearview mirror as they like, think of a combination of a lot of different things and. Hurricane Fiona, I think, negatively affected all the 902 area teams. And obviously bringing in Trevor Thurston on the back end and Oliver Shatton to solidify the goaltending would be kind of the two turning points of the season. And now also, too, you have to remember this team brought in a lot of players in the offseason, both young and old, something like seven returning guys. So I think there was the matter of piecing all that together. And now the team is kind of, kind of coming together as a group and finding out what they are. Had a rough finish to the road trip to Quebec where they lost to Shakutami and they were just out of gas, but it was probably the game against St. John coming off that road trip that, Nobody was missing any words about how disappointing that was. And, you know, you hope you just gradually get better coming off that loss and hopefully finish with a win against Victoriaville to conclude the homestand on a Wednesday night game. But it's definitely better than what we saw at the beginning of the year. And just kind of becoming part of that log jam, so to speak, in the Eastern Conference, I think it's going to be a pretty competitive battle for the playoff spots and maybe even the home ice spot. That's what the Eagles hope to be in the middle of before it's all said and done.
0: Yeah. And um, another thing, too, with the Eagles, of course, and we're going to talk about the Victoriaville uh, uh, take here uh, fairly, uh, fairly shortly. But before we uh, uh, leave from uh, the Eagles standpoint, you know, it's been a rough few years and uh, not just the play on the ice in Cape Breton as the team continues to build up from uh, that aborted run in 2020. You know, there's COVID in itself. There's, uh, you know, you mentioned Hurricane Fiona, which we've also alluded to previously as being uh a Factor in what's happened early this year and you know attendance has suffered as a result, but uh, there's a very unique night on Friday night. I just want to get your thoughts on it uh, before we go along uh, any further Pat. It was reconciliation at the rink night on Friday, which of course you know reconciliation is now in the forefront of a lot of people's minds, much more than it ever was uh, in uh, years past. The Eagles and Cape Breton as a whole have that close-knit affiliation with the five local First Nations groups. Uh, They lost to the the Mooseheads by a score of 6-2, but they also had 2,500 fans in the stands, which is their highest single game total in uh, over a year. Uh, Just what were your observations, not just from the play on the ice, but really just the atmosphere in the stands? What was it like to have uh, a decent number of fans back at center 200?
1: Well, obviously the game itself was a disappointment because anytime you lose to your biggest rival, that's unfortunate. Maybe a little bit closer than the score indicated, but a loss is a loss, I guess. But in terms of the atmosphere and the event, I think everybody came away with very good reviews. It was really cool to incorporate the five different First Nations and and also uh, New Dawn Enterprises locally actually purchased tickets for school kids, for e- kids from each of the reservations and just having different people in the building stepping aside from the whole purpose of the event a lot of those kids were making noise made for a good atmosphere there's maybe some more boisterous uh, go eagles go chants uh, than we're used to hearing which was really cool to see and and we'd love to see the those people back in the building again as you said reconciliation is kind of on the forefront of the mind these days so it's an important event and also was actually an offshoot from something the eagles did last year last year the eagles decided to introduce something called heritage night which would honor just different things around the island whether it be you know First Nations people or industry in general you know in the future the team would like to have a heritage night you know honoring coal mining or steel but after the heritage night for the Mi'kmaq went so well there well this should really be its own event especially given the importance of reconciliation in in the current climate. Uh, The uniforms are obviously great Uh, they were very well received by everybody and there was uh, some indigenous dancers out to start the game that was really cool it's a nice opportunity for them to showcase their culture and I apologize for Shaylin Paul. I think her name was, I apologize. I don't remember her name off the top of my head, but the, the anthem singer, she was outstanding. It was one of the best renditions of O Canada. I've heard at any Q rink this year. So it was a nice opportunity to uh, spotlight local talent in that respect. And it was kind of cool. The, the kids, the cleanup crew that shovels the ice uh, were uh, from the, some of the reservations. So really they kind of were incorporated into every aspect of the game day presentation. I wanted to shout out to Nadine Bernard Bernard, sorry, who's from Escazoni first nation. She was on with me at the second intermission she was co-organizer of the event uh, along with Lindsay McIntosh, the GM of business operations. And she did a great job. And it was really cool to hear ins- her insight on things. So, yeah, I think uh, overall it re- went really well. And uh, people seem to be looking forward to the next one.
0: Excellent, uh, Pat. Great initiative by the Eagles. Uh, something that we're starting to see a little bit throughout the league, but uh, to have uh, the uh, franchise in Cape Breton, uh, really embrace it. And like you say, it's it's a close-knit community. The island as a whole is a close-knit com- uh, community. I think a lot of people get to see that as a result of uh, what happened on Friday night. So with that, let's go around the league a little bit. And uh, our first stop is going to be in Drummondville. They've been in the spotlight the last couple of weeks on this podcast, not for the Greatest of reasons, of course, last week was the firing of Steve Hartley um, from two weeks previous. Last Wednesday was announced that the replacement for Hartley has been found. He's a first-time coach in the QMJHL uh, as a head coach, and his name is Eric Belanger, and if you followed the Q. You know, 25 to 30 years ago. It's a name that should be familiar with you. He was a high-scoring forward with the old Bopor Harfang and the Ramoski Oceanic. He was coaching the ECHL, um, and, uh, the in, in the ECHL and plucked from the 12 year team in the ECHL. Pat, give me your thoughts on what you what you make of this, uh, maybe what this hiring signifies uh, for the Voltegeur.
1: Well, certainly, not a nowhere higher. It's not very often that you see a guy coaching in the pro ranks leave pros to coach junior midseason, no less. It's very unusual certainly seems to have a pedigree where he's kind of skyrocketing up the ranks. It didn't take him long into his coaching tenure to catch on coaching in draw And they've been generally a winning team since he's been there. So that's good. Kind of has the player profile of somebody who would make a good coach because as you said, he was a scorer in the queue. But once he got to the NHL he was one of these guys who had to become more of a two-way player has experience playing in Europe too, which I think is beneficial as a coach because he can probably relate easy, more easily to a variety of players because he's kind of been around everywhere in terms of where he's coached. Obviously, inherits a team that's talented on paper. It's kind of surprising too that this came together so quickly because obviously, Philly Boucher has experience coaching himself. You know, he probably didn't want to be coaching too long, but the Volts would have been in good hands with him behind the bench. So it certainly is evidence that something came together that he really liked, and it's an interesting hire and. I have no reason to believe it won't be successful. Certainly wish Steve Hartley the best. He was always a great uh, interview when I talked to him and a great hockey mind. And hopefully uh, things will work out for him going forward. But I think there's reason for optimism for Drummondville. And uh, always exciting to see former Q players coaching in the league too. So, you know, we'll see what Eric can do in Drummondville. And I think, you know, expectations were probably pretty high. The thing with Steve Hartley, this may have been more of a Long-term sign. You look back a couple of years ago and back-to-back years when they traded for Pio Joseph and then Joe Valeno, and you know those playoff runs weren't as long as I'm sure Philly Boucher would have liked. So you know maybe they gave Steve Hurley his opportunity, and now it's time to move on to something else. And we'll see what Eric Boulanger can do behind the
0: bench. Yeah, and you know it's a very good point you make, Pat, uh, about uh, former players entering the queue. You know back, you know you and I, we've been following this league for you know roughly the same amount of time. You 25 years plus. And you know th- those names that we used to be very familiar with behind the bench, whether it was you know Richard Martel or uh, Joe Canali, Ray Alpaymon, uh, Alain Rajat, just to name a few. All of those guys have you know gone by the wayside, and it seems to be the guys who were coached by those same guys by and large whether it's a guy like Eric Belanger or a guy like Gordy Dwyer in Bathurst or uh, um, Bruce Richardson in Blainville. These guys seem to be the next wave coming through, and it's kind of interesting. It's kind of generational. It's almost like watching, uh, you know, when we're starting to see it a little bit, the, you know, the kids of uh, – players that we might have watched in the queue um you know 20 25 years ago they're now making their first appearance in the league so it's uh, it's just that interesting i guess part of it just shows how long we've been following the league <laughs> yes <laughs> but it's also just kind of an interesting uh, tidbit to see these guys who uh, you know we we watched lace them up mm. uh, but uh, the uh, voltigeur they have a three game uh schedule this week um Fairly easy games, you know, not, not every every game is a challenge, obviously, but uh, three teams in the lower half of the standings, they're home to Shewingan, home to Blaineville. And uh, or sorry, they're in Schwinnigan in Blainville. I apologize, and they are home to the St. John Sea Dogs to wrap up this week's action. And I want to go back to the Blainville Poivreon Armada because they made headlines earlier today. We're recording on a uh, Monday evening, by the way, by trading Josh Lawrence, a uh, 20 year old star forward, to the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, for a couple of draft picks, including a first rounder in 2024, coming back the other way from the Mooseheads. Uh, Pat, you know, this is a guy with Memorial Cup experience. He's a 100-point guy in the league. Um, what do you think? Uh, obviously, Cam Russell saw the skill and the point in bringing him from that standpoint to the Mooseheads, uh, but what do you see uh, him p- perhaps doing uh, within this Mooseheads lineup?
1: Well, it just gives them another weapon, first and foremost, as you said, brings the experience uh, in terms of having won the Memorial Cup maybe a bit of a question mark in terms of additional playoff experience, given that St. John was bumped from the playoffs and didn't have a run the year prior as well. But certainly in terms of point production, you know what you're going to get from Josh Lawrence. He was a producer since he was 18, really at an elite level. And it really kind of, I guess, paying dividends for Halifax that they kept those 18 year old spots open. This would be a trade to me that fits the definition of shocking, but not surprising. You see it and you're like, Whoa, you don't expect a big trade like that, especially at this time of year. But Blainville, babriand not off to the start that they were hoping for. That's the, the under, understatement of this podcast. And Halifax had the opening, and we knew they are going to be good. They're really kind of starting to create space between them and the rest of the Maritime Division. And so it could be a situation of even though maybe their core isn't peaking this season, maybe they'll try to strike while the iron's hot and uh, see if they can – run amok here amongst uh, the rest of the Eastern Conference, but definitely an already gifted offensive team, especially with Zachary LaRue coming back, gets more talented and, you know, kind of shuddering to think of the challenges the Eagles' defense will be facing the next time they see this Halifax team in action.
0: Yeah, and uh, the, that's a good point that you bring up with the Blaineville bois Armada, uh, Pat. They're a team that we haven't had the opportunity to talk about a lot on this podcast, you know, with uh, myself and Jamie, but, um, you know, perhaps that's because we're kind of, you know, Uh, burying the lead when it comes to bad news. Um, You know, the the Armada, historically, they're actually a team that it seems that they always punch above their weight. Uh, You know, uh, Bruce Richardson, since he's came aboard, and especially uh, Joel Bouchard before him as head coach, always seemed to get the absolute most out of these teams. And this year, nothing seems to be clicking. Obviously not uh, getting uh, Patrick Gay to report after acquiring him from Charlottetown in The offseason was huge, but uh, you know, we say that it's obviously an understatement that they are underachieving. How surprising do you think it is to see uh, the Armada as far down in the standings as they are and making a move like this at this time?
1: Uh, the first part is very surprising, the second part, not based on the first. You know, as you said, they're usually a team that punches above weight, and mean, you can look at the way Bruce Richardson's teams have performed in the past, he certainly seems to have a good pedigree as a coach might even end up being a blessing in the skies to Patrick game, the ECHO because if he's playing, obviously they're going to be a bit higher up in the standings. but you have to think if this team is as far away from the top of the Western conference as they are without him, he's not going to be able to single-handedly lift them up. So it makes the decision to kind of go in this direction a little bit easier because if you think that, you know, they've been willing to part ways with him, Maybe a guy like Zach Bigger that they acquired in the offseason is a guy that will be available as well. So it is a little bit puzzling for sure that for whatever reason, the pieces haven't just panned together. The Western Conference is tough this year. We talked just was talking about how the East is, is congested. So that is a bit of a part of it. Some teams are overachieving there, which I know we'll talk about momentarily. But yeah, definitely a surprise. Because Blainville is a team, when you look at them traditionally on paper, if they don't have a lot, they'll still find a way to be competitive and to see a team that has as much of a veteran presence as they do have, you know, with a good coach in, in place. It's it's a little bit surprising, but that, I guess that's a part of what makes junior hockey fun. Just maybe not so much if you're an Armada fan this season.
0: Yeah, and as far as Josh Lawrence and his new team, the Halifax movesets go, they are in Quebec actually for three games. Uh, this week, uh, visiting Bay uh, Baykomo, and uh, Shikudami. And you've already mentioned it. I've already mentioned it. We want to talk about one of those contentious teams in the Western Conference. That would be the Victoriaville TIG. Now, Pat, you're going to have the opportunity to see them on home, I Center 200, on Wednesday. Um, and you're going to see a team that I'm pretty sure nobody would have guessed at this time of the year is currently fighting for first place in the West uh, after missing the playoffs by a single point last year, two years removed from a president cup win in the protected environment. And here they are, you know, eight wins in their last 10 games. They're getting contributions up and down the lineup. Uh, they have, you know, on the back end, Pierre Olivier was the latest QMJHL player of the week. And, you know, Pat, from your own standpoint, You've already seen them play once in Victoriaville. They handed the Eagles a loss uh, earlier in this season. I believe 5-3 might have been the score. Um, what did you take from that first encounter uh, against the Eagles, and what do you make of this start that Carl Mallett and his gang is on?
1: A surprising start. No disrespect to the Victoriaville. Obviously they have some good players, but didn't expect them to be at this level or a team that competes hard. They're a fun team to watch. A guy like Tommy Cormier is really electrifying one of these prototypical smaller players that doesn't get a lot of respect from the pros scouts or whatnot. That's very effective at the junior level. POA really does a great job of kind of driving the offense for the back end. I know he worked really hard in the off season. He, I didn't I don't want to say took it personally that he wasn't drafted or even invited to a pro camp, but he wanted to work on all aspects of his game. And you know, look at his assists right now are absolutely ridiculous. Probably says a lot about Maxime Pellerin's leadership. He's one of the few holdovers from that 2021 team. But I think looking at the bigger picture, it really speaks highly of both Carl Millette and Kevin Clute. And we were just talking about guys that we saw play in the queue come around to coach. Well, Carl Millette plays for a Presidents Cup winning team in 2002, and then he coaches one in 2021. Kluche was behind the helm obviously before Karl Malek came there. And he can really go back to when they loaded up the year that they brought in Vitaly Abramov and they had that disappointing playoff run. And I thought, and others around the league, thought the next year was going to be really rough. And then they ended up winning in the first round against Valdor, And they eventually win the President's Cup in 2021. So they're a team that seems to be able, at least under Kevin Cloutier, to rebound a lot quicker than you think. And now we're seeing the quicker rebound and of 2021. Now, here's a really fascinating stat to me about this Victoriaville team. They're third in the Western Conference. They only have four 19-year-old players on the roster. And all four of those 19-year-olds, none of them played in the league as regular players at 17. So their four 19-year-olds are all second-year players. Now, obviously, there's a lot of talk about Gabrielle Begg and how great he's been at the number two pick, but Nathan Darvaux is a heck of a partner in Nets playing at 19. It just it's been, as you said, up and down the lineup. It's kind of by committee. Obviously, Pellerin has eye popping numbers, but other than that, it's just been a lot of guys playing well, and it's you can't argue the results.
0: No, definitely no. Uh, we had Carl on uh, the program here a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you know he he sort of said basically the same thing uh, as what you just said, Pat. You know another guy that he brought up uh, uh, immediately was uh, Thomas Belgard, of course, who they acquired from the Bathers Titan. Maybe more of a fly under the radar sort of uh, f- sort of deal for the Tig, but uh, certainly one that's already paying dividends. It just seems like everybody that they've slotted into that lineup has come up big from them. They're, they're producing uh, regularly. And, of course, you mentioned Nathan Darvall, well, when they're standing run. I'm sure when Gabriel Degg was uh, was drafted second overall, uh, the intent was to, you know, obviously shield him as best he could, but probably there would be a few nights where he might be fed to the Lions, so to speak, whether they whether the intent was uh, to do that or not. I mean, obviously it never is, but um, it's it certainly uh, – Uh, Been a a very good development situation for him in that uh, Karl Millett knows he can rely on Nathan Darvo every single night, and it's been resulting in victories uh, throughout this season. Um, now, the Taker, of course, they're on their maritime swing. As we already mentioned, they're going to go visit uh, Pat McNeil's Cape Breton Eagles on Wednesday evening. Uh, then they will uh, head over to Charlottetown to take on the Islanders before wrapping up that maritime road trip in Moncton. And speaking of teams that are shocking their respective leagues and shocking the hockey world, let's talk about one in the NHL this time. It's our NHL team profile of the week. We're going to talk about the I can't believe I'm saying this. Second place team in the Pacific Division, your Seattle Kraken. <laughs> and shout and out to all the are, Kraken
1: fans watching this.
0: Absolutely, great, proud members of the original 32, and uh, they, um, on top of being very successful, they are doing it with a couple of NHL alumni in the lineup, but also there's guys throughout the system who are contributing on the regular on a regular basis one of those players um still in the queue the first ever drafted qmj Jiller by the uh, kraken uh, jacob Malotson, who went f- uh, in the 5th round in back in 2021 to the uh, as a member of the acd bathus Town, where he still plays and uh, a guy pat you know we we've talked on this podcast already about guys like Uh, Riley Kidney uh, about, you know, uh, guys like uh, Joseph Henneberry, Ty Higgins, but make no mistake, Jacob Melanson is another one of those guys who is kind of quietly putting together a very solid season in the QMJHL.
1: Yeah, he absolutely terrorized the Eagles. The two games we played in Bathurst earlier this year, a prototypical power forward. And that's one thing he's actually kind of has to work on is reining that in a little bit. He's already the first ever player suspended uh, in a Seattle Kraken uniform and based on preseason actually had a chance to uh, chat with him earlier and he said that, that they kind of wanted to play that game you know a guy that plays on the edge he is occasionally going to go over it but just a physically dominating presence with great offensive skills one of these guys that didn't really get the opportunity to shine as much as he is this season just because either buried behind other players or he's had unfortunately a bad history with injuries this year thankfully he's been able to kind of uh, piece together a season where he's been on the ice more often than not suspensions aside and both the NHL and the QMJHL, but I think the Kraken probably have to be ecstatic with what they've seen from him this year, just because he's shown he can become a guy that can really dominate the game. Now, he'll get tested playing on a young team like Bathurst. You're either rebuilding. There's going to be the games where, you know, when the tough get going, et cetera, et cetera. So that's some, a game element of his game he'll get an opportunity to work on. But in terms of what he's displaying, in terms of his skills this year, like I said, power forward. And uh, you know, they have to be happy with the step forward he's taken. And sometimes that happens with these guys drafted in the first round on the queue. You'll, the first couple of years, you know, for whatever reason, it won't. You won't see it, but then you know it clicks, and I think that's kind of been the case this year. They maybe more drafted him based on potential, and this year he's starting to fulfill that at the Q level.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, we've already talked about Maxime Pellerin earlier in this uh, broadcast, Pat. He is definitely another guy who would fit that that mold of a fir- former first rounder in the Q that's uh, finally coming into his own. Certainly not uncommon at this level. Um, he is the only, as I mentioned, QMJHLer still in the Q that has ties to the Kraken. There's a couple of guys in the AHL uh, playing in beautiful Palm Desert, California, for the Coachella Valley Firebirds. And one of them, ironically, has a Cape Breton connection in a roundabout way, (laughs) Uh, Luke Luke Henman, who, of course, the uh, the main connection with the Kraken, not only is he playing for their AHL team, first ever player signed by the Kraken, in the franchise's history, he was uh, drafted by the screen, by the then, I believe, Screaming Eagles, yep. and uh, then uh, made his way to the Plainfield beyond Armada before playing a game in Cape Breton, but still spent five very uh, parts of five very productive years with the Armada. And certainly one of those guys, you can't help but wonder, you know, what uh, how how this is going to play out for him. Uh, he's he's actually I think he's the only guy on Firebirds without a point. So far this season, but at the same time, I, I, from all accounts, it sounds like he is playing kind of a, uh, a depth bottom six forward role very effectively, which is definitely a bit of a change from what we saw with him in the queue where he was a very strong, much like Jacob Melanson, uh, only with more points, strong two way forward that was capable of uh, producing a point a game season in season out
1: yeah for sure i think he kind of did refine his overall game towards the end of his q career which is probably why seattle signed him and it was fun when he got signed because when reed duke signed with vegas out of brandon you're like oh i wish it was a q guy so it was, it was neat when uh, seattle decided to make him their first signee so that's going to be the game he's going to have to play I, And i think that's the case for a lot of guys that get signed late you know they're probably not going to be stars at the nhl level and just because you're playing in a bottom six role in the ahl it doesn't mean that you can't transition to playing that same role in the nhl and i think Luke Hemman was probably aware that that was going to be his path. So it'll be curious to see if he's uh, able to translate that. And usually these first guys signed are guys that were passed up a couple of times or maybe they were drafted and, and then re-signed after they, their rights expired. So so that was the case with him. And, you know, we'll see if, if he's able to parlay that into an NHL career and it'd be a good story if, if he did for
0: sure. Definitely, enjoying joining him in Coach Coachella Valley is uh, one of uh, something a little bit rare in the AHL these days, more of a veteran guy in goaltender Christopher Gibson, who spent four years in Chikudny from 2009 to 2013. The AHL, uh, four guys there, um, uh, probably the highest profile uh, being Jeremy McKenna, who uh, had a couple of 40-goal seasons with the Moncton Wildcats, now playing for the ECHL. Kansas City Mavericks, and of course, Callum Booth, who uh, won a who won a President Cup with the St. John Sea Dogs in 2017, and the Memorial Cup with the 2015 Quebec Rampard, um, you Par, know, applying his trade in the ECHL level. He's actually bumped up and down uh, between the AHL and the ECHL this season. Then we have our two NHLers, Pat, um, a couple of guys who. I guess you could kind of put the small but mighty tag on both of them. Um, Center Yanni Gord and right winger Daniel Sprong, two guys, uh, especially in the case of Sprong, since he played in our own maritime backyard for the Charlottetown Islanders, guys who we became very well acquainted with over the years, especially, like I say, uh, the aforementioned Sprong.
1: Yeah, exciting to see him finally kind of make his name in the NHL. And he was such a dynamic player to watch in the queue. I mean, maybe Pittsburgh gave him a sniff too early, perhaps. But it seems like things are working out. And both of these guys kind of... uh, Simplify what you'd expect for expect if an expansion team was going to have success, I suppose that uh, you know, any Gord overlooked for a long time and despite some impressive point totals, and then has to kind of claw his way to getting a pro contract The Sprung, obviously the higher drafted player, but just for whatever reason had a hard time catching on. So it's nice to see that he's been able to have success and always exciting too. You know, obviously he played his U18 in Canada, but with his background in the Netherlands, it's really neat to have a guy with a non-traditional background, having success in the NHL and being part of, uh, surprisingly, a winning team. So uh, good on both of those guys. That uh, It's nice to see that there are some QMJHL ties to this uh, surprising story out West.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, Yanni Gord, um, pro- if you were to ask your average Quebec League fan, uh, to name the top scorers in the league over the last 10 years, Yanni Gord may not may be one of the ones that they don't remember. Uh, of course, he led the Victoriaville take with 125 points in uh, 2011 2012. Undrafted and uh, the queue, I do believe, definitely undrafted into right. the NHL. And a tremendous story in, uh, in Seattle and previously Tampa Bay before that. Let's move on to our 2023 draft prospect of the week. And Pat, this is going to feel, seem like a bit of a softball for you. And yeah, I guess I did kind of plan it this way, but uh, <laughs> but it's not to say he is not worth discussing. He's He certainly is making an impression on the Eagles blue line. He is the rookie defenseman, Xavier Dagg. Pat, give us a little rundown on what you've seen from this kid so far this season.
1: Well, there's been a lot to like for sure. Just a player just kind of does everything well. And then you're not somebody you really noticed, but very defensively accountable can slide in and out of traffic when need to be. He's going to refine his defensive game a bit more this year as you know, when he came to training camp last year, he was just kind of running all over the ice. But as I said, he was very good to get back in position and now seeing him playing a bit of a tighter ship. Now that he's you know, used to this level of hockey, And for those that don't know, he was a second round draft pick of the Eagles that was sent back, was one of the last cuts, which kind of surprised a lot of people. Definitely had the skill and responsibility to play in the queue last year. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but maybe maybe it was better that he went back to the Quebec League to dominate where he was a leading scorer among defensemen there last year defenseman of the year in the U18 league. And as I said, just kind of does everything well. We've seen him recently on the top power play unit in Cape Breton, part of a good defense pairing there with Connor Shortle, not an easy pair to play against at all. So he's not necessarily seeing the top matchups, but he's comfortable in the situations where he is. Earlier in the year when the Eagles were riddled with injuries, you know, he was the veteran playing alongside Thomas Lavois, the first overall pick, and they were actually a really fun pair to watch. And the fact that he's a plus and a plus minus of the team that's, you know, towards the bottom of the standings obviously moving up but you know that kind of says all you need to know in terms of what he's been able to do at both ends of the ice it looks like he has a chance of setting a new team record for most points by a rookie defenseman so we'll keep our eye on that as well yeah it's just uh, been all around a very solid player not necessarily one you'll notice you kind of have to watch for his stellar play but you know you'll watch he's out there for the ice 45 seconds it's oh yeah the other team didn't really get any good scoring chances or oh look at you know nice play he was in the right spot to get a secondary or primary assist and that's uh, kind of been his game this year and uh, for those that have been watching for it we've definitely enjoyed watching him in Cape Breton obviously like your defenseman to be a bit bigger but you know he's only 17 so we'll see if he grows and yeah it's been uh, great to watch Xavier Dago in his rookie season.
0: And as you mentioned, Pat, you know, one of the few regulars, actually one of only three regulars uh, with a plus rating uh, on the Eagles uh, so far this year. And even, you know, to drill down even further on that, the other two are Owen Arnold, who has been with the team all season, and Trevor Thurston, who, uh, you know, since coming over from the WHL has only been in about half of the team's games. And also his arrival coincided with that 16 winning streak, where obviously plus minus is going to be it's going to be a little bit easier to be on the plus side on plus minus <laughs> in those circumstances. So right. yeah, definitely Xavier Degg, um, uh turning a few heads and you, know, you don't want to be presumptuous about this stuff sometimes, but uh, you know, I look at these, uh, these rankings and uh, Deg is a C ranked prospect, which is generally beyond uh, fourth or fifth round and beyond in the NHL entry draft. And out of the ones I see in that C ranking, He's one of the guys I think you know. If if there's a guy that's going to move up and maybe into that B uh, B bracket. He is as good of a candidate as any. So it'll be very interesting to see how he uh, progresses. Uh, Q player of the week, we already mentioned, Pierre Olivier Waugh. He is on defense for the team of the week as well, along with Nate Tivy of the St. John Sea Dogs. Kind of a surprise there to see uh, him uh, uh, make an impression uh, this early on in his career as a Sea Dog. The uh, forwards are Alexander Doucette, the Valdor for Maxime Pellerin of the Victoria Veltigra, who has gotten plenty of airtime in this episode so far, and William Payette of the Shawinigan Cataracts. Do you have a question? Do you have a comment? Do you have a suggestion? Send it our way. Uh, the uh, the uh, Twitter handles are in our respective uh, bios here at Will on the Air. And you know, Pat, not going to be here every week uh, filling in for Jamie Tozer, but you know what? If you have suggestions, send it to him anyway. I know he's going to let me know one sure. or the other doesn't yeah, matter if it's good, bad, or otherwise. Uh, in fact, if you're a little bit more critical, he will be very quick to tell me <laughs> <laughs> what I what could be improved here.
1: DMs um, are open as well for me. So.
0: DMs are it? open, flood, and same here. So for, for sure, if there are any questions, if you have a hot take on something, we want to hear about it. Let us know. We'll get you on the air. Um, a number of key matchups this week, Pat. You um, know, um, uh, Quebec seems to be more of the hotbed this week. Uh, you know, I look at uh, the Drummondville-Schwinigan matchup. You know, Eric Belanger is still getting his his uh, feet underneath him uh, behind that voltage bench and uh, playing a team uh, in Schwinigan that, those, that is uh, battling uh, the Volts in the standings uh, at this point and also a team like – and also a matchup like, you know, uh, Sherbrooke at Randoranda to one somewhat surprising team in the Huskies and a very good sure work team. Uh just uh, one of the uh, several matchups this week that we should be looking forward to. Pat from your own standpoint, obviously another busy week for the Eagles coming up. Uh anything in particular that's catching your eye in the in the uh, league this week that uh, we should be looking out for?
1: Well, the Quebec run ran is interesting because Quebec was kind of proven to be vulnerable when they lost the two games. They were quick to bounce back. It was kind of fun there when both Quebec and Ottawa were on two-game losing streaks at the same time. It was like the order of the CHL had been shaken to its core with the uh, Quebec (laughs) Ramparts uh, kind of getting back on track. So. That's something we're watching for. Obviously, you're going to be watching Drummondville. Curious to see how Josh Lawrence fits in in Halifax. It'll be interesting to see where he slides into the lineup. And obviously, the Eagles will try to rebound against Town, a team they lost to in a shootout been a while since we've seen Moncton, since Oliver Shatney's debut. So Moncton seems to be establishing itself as the best of the rest in the Maritimes beyond Halifax. So that could be a good measuring stick game for the Eagles as well, like coming off the four-game homestand. So, yeah, that's uh, some of the things I'm watching around the league. And lots of lots of interesting stories, a lot going on. And coaching and player moves always uh, spice things up a little bit more.
0: Yep, and obviously we're getting uh, closer to that point in the year, Pat. Uh, Player movement will be uh, a lot more plentiful. Uh, World Junior Camp will be starting soon. Uh, It's all leading into what's going to be a great stretch run, no doubt, in the QMJHL. So first of all, Thanks so much for taking the time I'm in. Uh, like I say, we've known each other forever, but uh, it's always, it's always great to, to talk, uh, you know, just outside the context of, you know, our usual inane Facebook uh, chat <laughs> and whatnot, and to actually put something uh, good together like this. So again, thanks for taking the time.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. And it's always fun to, to chat to Q Hockey. And as you said, there's no shortage of good things to talk about, so happy to be on anytime.
0: Excellent. Well, we will uh, be taking you up on that for sure. So, uh, also like to thank uh, Connor Somerville behind the scenes for his continued excellent work as our producer here on the Q, the hockey news on the Q brought to you by bet MGM. We'll be back next week with more news and notes from throughout the league. Thanks for watching.